afternoon, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll let you all turn there as we get started. Um, first and foremost, I, I honestly do thank Pastor for the opportunity to be here and to take God's word and open it and dig into the minds and the riches thereof. Um, it's not a, a trivial thing that he has asked it's, to stand on this pulpit behind this podium and open God's word is a, a great responsibility. And kind of what we're going to talk about today just a little bit as we get into this is that responsibility <clears throat> um, while presenting the gospel from up here is very grave and is a very important and needful thing. Much of what was discussed in Sunday school today and what Brother Gerth had discussed in the 11 o'clock hour today ties in kind of with what I'm looking at today as far as in 2 Timothy, one of the things that um, is mentioned here by Paul is that faithful men need to be taught. And so it's easy to say, well, I'm a woman, doesn't apply to me, I'm gone. You're not off the hook. You can't just pitchfork it to the person behind you. The idea of teaching faithful men is that there's a chain of events that happens in the preaching of the gospel. There's a chain of events that happens in teaching of the gospel. As Caleb touched on this morning in Sunday school, mothers have a responsibility of raising their children and in, in teaching them from the cradle the truth of God and the truth of Christ and the truth of his holiness and our sinful natures. As children of God, we are called to be faithful presenters of the gospel to all those about us. You know, we would look at the truth in God's word and we, you know, say, okay, I understand that I need to present the gospel to the lost. Yes, I'll agree that I need to be the one that needs to show the sinner that for, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'll agree with you on that. But as a child of God, it's also my duty, my faithful responsibility, if you will, to help my brother or sister in Christ who is struggling. To see a brother or sister in Christ that is struggling with an issue and be able to come alongside them and say, you know, as a man of God, this is how this needs to be dealt with. Or as mentioned in, um, I believe it was Sunday school when Caleb mentioned it, as far as 
older women teaching the younger. This is how we dress and this is why. So, again, that, that level of responsibility, we can't just shirk off. We can't just say, it's not my problem, I'm not going to deal with it, I'm going to walk on. And as we get into this lesson today, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, a pastor asked me a week ago, would you be willing to do the Sunday afternoon lesson? And of course, the immediate response is, no, I'm busy, I can't do it, I'm going to be camping. Ain't happening. But again, we come back to faithful men. The Lord has laid it upon pastor's heart that I was capable of doing this. And who am I to tell the Lord no? So I begin, you know, okay, Lord, you want me to bring a lesson? What would you have me to do? You know, much like Solomon when he prayed, I don't know whether to come in or go out. What would you have me to speak on, Lord? And as, as I was conversing with the Lord, and you know, just tell me what you want me to do, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.15 came to mind. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, the very end, well, not the very end, but towards the end of 2 Timothy chapter 2, you have verses 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel to, unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And so as we dive into 2 Timothy chapter 2 today, um, my desire, my request of you is to look at it how can I apply this to my life? And what can I do in my life? How can I change? How can I allow the Lord to change me through his word, actually be more appropriate, to be a vessel of honor? Because that's our desire, right? I mean, that's why we're here. To get into this love letter that's been provided to us by our loving God so we can be a vessel of honor to him and not a vessel of dishonor in our workplace and those we are associated with has been gone through in Sunday school and in the 11 o'clock hour. So I can say with a pretty high confidence today that the Lord has been definitely in this day and let's glorify him in it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, Lord, as I come to you, I just... Uh, Ask God that as we open your word and look at some of the truths in it, that, that, Father, you truly would be glorified. You would be lifted up. Father, that you would uh, set me aside, calm my stammering tongue. Lord, help me to understand that this is not a sprint. It's not something that we just hurry up and push through. 
But Father, that we would slow down, we would read your word, we would apply it to our lives, and that most of all, Christ would be the one that's heard from today and not Chris. Thank you again, Lord, for your, your message to us. We thank you again for your word and your preservation thereof. Just ask God that you would help us as your children to be an example and a beacon of hope to the lost around us. It's in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So in 2 Timothy 2.15, the first word that pops up is study. And as God had laid this verse on my heart, it was, it was really easy to sit there and say, oh, well, if we're going to study, you know, what are we going to study? Who are we going to study? What are we going to study? You know, the who, what, when, where, why, how. When we get ourselves in front of God, we can remove the lesson that wants to be taught. So the word study here that Paul is using, why will he understand, you know, like I said, the English version of that is we read, we understand, we try to apply it to our lives. The Greek word for study here actually takes us to a whole different level. The Greek word that he uses here means to be diligent, to hasten to, to, um, to not just look at it and read, but let me be diligent about this. Thinking of a lesson that Caleb did here, I guess it was last year, who can know wisdom? And how, you know, you can't go dig it in a mine as far greater than silver or gold. But if we dig into the mine of God's word and the riches thereof, then we can know wisdom. So if we study, if we take this and we pour ourselves into it in our daily life, and which is actually, I'll be honest with you, that's something I fail with. You know, so many times it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this passage and I'm going to read it. I'm going to try and study it out. But then it's like, where do I even begin? And I start asking all these questions. You know, much like when pastor asked me to, to do, do the service. I'm like, ah, 66 books. Where do I start? But if I'm in God's word daily then I'm ready to give an answer of the hope that lieth within me to those about me. Whether it be my brothers and sisters in Christ or the lost that I work with. So if I study God's word to show myself approved, not unto me, not unto you, but unto God, to learn of Him, to grow in Him, then I won't be ashamed. And I'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth, God's word. And so as we get into this lesson today, we're actually going to talk about um, who it applies to, how it applies, some of the warnings that are listed in this chapter of chapter 2, 
and why I need to apply it to my life. One of the things that Paul mentions in this chapter to Timothy in this letter was that um, there was two people, Hymenius and Philetus, that were teaching heresy. And so while Paul is encouraging Timothy to study, he's also giving him instruction in how to deal with the heresies. So as Paul starts this letter, you know, we understand that it's Paul says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. And so the idea that Paul had is that I'm giving this letter to you, Timothy, so you can grow and so you can understand and so you can teach faithful men. But the idea here is that that, that buck's not going to stop with you. That you're going to take that message, you're going to take that information that the Lord has laid upon my heart to teach you and teach others and that you're going to do something with it. And that those people that you teach are going to carry that on from day to day. So as we take God's word today and we open it up, I pray that um, you'll, you'll view it as, as a letter from the Lord and that you'll apply it to your life today. Like I said, we're going to look at who the passage applies to. So in 2 Timothy, we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 7. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man who also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive faith lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So who does the passage apply to? Well, as we've already kind of alluded to in verse 2, it applies to every child of God. Not just the men, not just the women, but every child of God. Whether it be a grandparent or a young teen that is saved, mother or father, every child of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says what? All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So again, you know, even if we take out verse 2 and we say, okay, well, we're not going to look at verse 2 of our chapter today. Verse, you know, chapter 3 automatically takes the cake and says, it applies to all of us. If we are a child of God, I need to take the scriptures, I need to apply it to my life, I need to allow it to do some work in me. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see the, the commission, if you will, to faithful men who will teach others. And that word others there is the word um, in Greek, it's heteros, where we understand that that means different. Um, he also mentions um, if a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. He's talking about an athlete there, you know, when, when they would train for the games and pastor just went over this, so I'm not going to go into great depth on this, but if someone was going to compete in the games, there were certain things that they needed to do. They had to say that they were going to abstain from these foods and these drinks and they were going to live a lifestyle that was of an athlete. And so in this, he's saying that, you know, um, he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Well, that, I mean, that goes all the way through this man's, you know, life, if you will. He can do everything right, but then if he gets to the end and he doesn't compete within the set rules, then he's not considered faithful. He's disqualified. He's set aside, right? Another one that he mentions as far as faithful men goes in this passage is he says, no man warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. And I was thinking about this and... and You have, if you have a soldier that goes off to war and obviously you have your times where you're not in an immediate conflict and you have your times when you are. You know, as Brother Gerth was alluding to in the 11 o'clock hour, you know, that alarm goes off, you go out, you're, you're in it. If you're not prepared before you get to that point, you got problems. If your mind is not in it, you got problems. So as, as Paul's talking here, he's talking about, you know, he entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. If you have a warrior who is in the battle and he's thinking about what's for breakfast at the defect tomorrow, or man, I hope that the mice don't get in my bed tonight and everything else is going on around him. His mind is not in it. He is not, at that point, he's not faithful. At that point, if, not only is his life at stake, but the life of his comrades is at stake. We can turn around and, and just stop and apply that right now. to each and every person in this room. We can say that I'm good. I'm doing what I need to do. 
But are we? Are we striving? Are we hastening to? Are we digging into God's scriptures? Because if my life's not right, my life is not a life unto itself. If I sin, it's not sin unto myself, but it's sin unto God. But my sin will affect everybody else. Simple cause and effect. If I'm not living right, then it's going to affect my sister. It's going to affect my brother. We in this room would be a squadron in the Air Force. I don't know what the Army calls it. At this level, is it a platoon or... But we're, I mean, we are a group. We are a body. We are called together by Christ to this location, to this point. And so the responsibility falls to me as a faithful man, to you as a faithful man or woman. Am I on point? Am I focused on serving my great Savior? Is God the love of my life, and am I in His Word seeking out the truth therein? Another person that he mentions in um, this passage is the husbandman. In verse 6, it says, The husbandman that hath labored must be first partaker of the fruits. Um, as we look at this, uh, we can say, okay, I understand that the husband, when, you know, his reward is the fruits and just skip over it. But let's stop and, and think about the fact, you know, a farmer, especially in, the, in this day and age, when Paul was writing this letter, that was not a lazy man's job. You know, that was before I had a GPS combine. I could hit the button, and it goes down, does its row, turns, does its row, turns, does its row, turns. You know, and completely do a five-square-mile platform, and all I got to do is just sit there and make sure that the battery doesn't die or the GPS doesn't quirk. The guy was up before the sun was up hooking up his mule if he was lucky and getting the plow ready and driving that line and turning and driving that line and turning and driving that line. Before the day was even over, he had maybe a quarter of the field done. By the time he had to stop, throw out the, the boulders and the rocks, and the problems that he come up against, whether the mule or the cow decided, I'm done, you know, and he's got to re-motivate it to get moving. I mean, I, there was nothing easy about it. And so the husbandman in his faithfulness in expecting the spring and the fall rain gets up every morning to plow, to plant, to weed, to do all these things that need to be done so he can have a crop. None of that happens without work. 
So study to show thyself approved. Diligently get into God's word and dig and study and read and apply. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, We see Paul is dealing with the Church of Corinth. Um, there was this whole rights issue, if you will. I am of Paul and I'm of Apollos. We're going to read this passage, but what we're taking away in this is, um, again, the point of a laborer. Verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I have Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye have believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? In verse 6, this is kind of where I want to go with this. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God got the increase. They were faithful to do what they knew to do, but in the end, they, they took that responsibility and left it in God's hands. Um, I'm sure that there are some, I, I know that in my life, I sit there and say, you know, well, I haven't seen but one person get saved. And you say, you know, it's, it's been a dry time in the church since we've seen somebody accept Christ as their Savior and King. But God doesn't call us to save men. He calls us to plant seed. He calls us to water. And sometimes that watery needs to be with our tears and prayer. Because we have some that frequently come through that door that we know are not saved. Does it break our hearts to know that? Does it cause us to say, Lord, why? Is there sin in my life that's preventing them from seeing the truth of your word? Because again, as I said earlier, when I sin, I don't sin just unto myself. I affect the body of which I am associated with. So we see that uh, through this verse in chapter 2, verse 2, that... The idea of faithful men is every child of God. We understand that those faithful men need to teach others. And as I said, that, that Greek word is heteros, which means not of the same nature or form or class or kind, different. So with that, it means that I need to be faithful 
in telling others about Christ and not, again, shirking that responsibility or passing it off saying, no, pastor's got it. It's pastor's responsibility. It's not. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to say, I know this person in my life is lost and dying and going to hell. And if I don't say something to them, who will? You know, and I'm going to talk about that, that line, that, that handoff, that point-to-point interaction of sharing the gospel. In my life, I was blessed. I grew up in a church where I heard the truth of God's word from the age of two to the age of 18 when I left Join the military, gonna go be my own man, go live my life, do what I want to do, sow my wild oats and live how I want to live. And then God slapped me, brought me back to reality, and finally at the age of 34, I was listening to a sermon where, again, a man was being faithful in preaching God's word, and things got to clicking in my head. I am lost. I can't live by my own good works and think that I'm, I'm okay with God. That holiness that we talked about earlier today, when we understand that I am vile, I am wretched, my sin is an offense to God and something needs to be done about it. If it wasn't for faithful men up to that point, I don't know where I'd be today. Honestly, I probably would have been divorced and, again, out doing my own thing. And then we heard a little bit of Brother Gers' um, testimony today, you know, and I know that he's mentioned it many times. It's one thing that I never tired of hearing of in the prison because it's truth. You know, I know that Brother Gertha said in his childhood he knew of God and he knew of right and wrong, but it was a man from this church that drove, I think you said it's four miles up a creek, to present him the gospel. What if that guy, you know, he just said, you know what, it's a long day. I'm just going to stop here at Boundary. I'll get up tomorrow. Maybe I'll push up the creek. Maybe I won't. If that guy hadn't gone to the mining camp, would Brother Girth be here today? So with your own life, just I just want you to reflect for just a moment in your own life. Most everybody in here had the ability that I did of growing up with the truth. But what if that one person who decided to sit you down and talk with you didn't do it? What if they would have stopped? 
What if they would have stopped at the person right before you? Uh, I'm tired. I don't want to go on. I remember when Nathan got saved. His desire was for this man over here sitting behind Doug. He wanted to see Seth saved. He was concerned about Seth. What if Nathan had to had that desire? God changed that man's life, and that man has reached out to every person I could ever think of that he's met. In prison, Seth will go up to the men and start talking with them. In his relationship with people at work, while they can't stand him, while they think, oh, Seth is gruff, he's this hard nose about this or that or whatever, or Seth's this guy that, you know, he hates to wear his mask. Who doesn't? tender heart for the Lord and for His Word. Faithful men willing to carry that baton. So who does the passage apply to today? Every child of God. How it applies. Well, let's go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Most of you can probably quote this as we as I start reading it, you're probably just going to stop turning. But Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe some things? No. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So Christ, as he's given this command, do this, he seals it and says, let it be so. So first, we're going to go back to verse 19 where he says, go ye therefore. And this, again, it's been hammered time and time again. But it doesn't mean hey, you go do this. But it's while you're going, in your day-to-day -day life, while you're already telling people about Christ, do this. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And so, again, the idea of being faithful, we're going to follow through with the orders we're given, right? Caleb, if you're on the ward and a doctor comes up and he says, this is my order, I want you to go give this guy an injection or whatever, and you fail to do that, consequences are going to be, I'm going to get written up, I'm going to get counseled, probably get my hand slapped. But if, if that's a continual thing, what happens? There's a cause and effect, right? Same thing with the job. You know, if I go out and I cut corners here as I'm building this house or cut corners as I'm laying electric wires in this house, eventually something's not going to work right. There's going to be problems and there's going to be consequences to pay. 
So it's a command. Let's go. Let's do. Let's be obedient. We're going to look at a relay real quick. I don't, I don't know any, if anybody in here was in sports in high school. I think most everybody here was homeschooled, so this isn't really a concept that most of you guys can go with. Uh, my wife, my daughter, and I, Doug, was, Doug, Doug wasn't a homeschooler. We already know that. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go down a, a little rabbit hole here. Please bear with me. You have a four by 400 meter relay. Okay. There's three of four of us in here that know what that is. <laughs> Basically you have four people that are at 100 meter marks that are set to carry a baton. They're all in the lineup. They're all ready to go. The starters are in their blocks. They're waiting. And to explain the anticipation, the adrenaline rush, the anxiety, and all the things that are piling up at you as you're sitting there in the starting block. And all you're, you're not even looking ahead at your mark at that point. You're just waiting for the starting gun. Because the guy that's holding the gun, he says, on your marks, and you get down your blocks. And you're getting set. And you're getting ready to go. And, and the, the adrenaline's going. You are just like, I am ready to nail this thing. And he says, get set. And he raises his hand up with that starting gun. And it seems, I'll be honest with you, it seems like, a good minute passes. You are just like, God, can you do explode? Bam! Everybody's off. That first leg is pushing it. They're, they're neck and neck. They're within inches of each other. They're going. It's a good handoff. A good handoff means you don't hear ding, 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 as the baton drops to the ground. I have heard it. There is a gut-wrenching feeling that is you're like, I'm glad that wasn't me. And everybody's going. And you're in the second leg, and they're racing. And they're, I mean, it's just like the kids out here playing, right? I mean, each one of those kids, they hit this wall with the veracity that they're trying to go through it because they're not stopping at the line. They're not like, okay, I'm almost there, I'm stopping. They're pushing through. They're running everything that you're worth. Everything that is in you is in that 100 meters. I'm a sprinter. I love sprinting. That's why a sermon is so hard for me. Because a sermon is a marathon. It really is. Because you got to get up here and there's a, a goal that you're going to. Me as a sprinter, it's like, okay, we're done. Oh, wait, let's get back to the sprinters. So they're running, they're running, they're running as hard as they can. They're pushing, 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 pushing. They get to that third guy. There's a good handoff again, and they're off. That third guy, it's like the kids running around the pews here. It's like the first guy pushes here, second guy pushes there, third guy's pushing over there, and he stops at the door. I'm done. The guy was in first place. All he had to do was hand that baton off, and it's done. Because that guy that you put in 
the fourth leg of the relay? He's the fastest guy you got. He, he is the steed of all. He's the guy that sits there and does that 100-meter dash in 10 seconds. And you don't realize how quick 10 seconds is until you're the one that's running that. But all that guy in third place had to do was hand the baton off. And he just says, I'm done. I quit. It's not worth it. I'm, I'm tired of trying. It's only 100 meters. Let's draw it back to us. If we are not faithful to God's word and preach the gospel, give the truth, share the truth of God's word, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we don't carry that on, then we're that third leg. We're that guy that just quit. And so we apply it to my life, saying, I desire to share the truth of God's word. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 through 27. Paul talks about um, this very thing of race and mastery of the scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 27. First of all, Paul starts off with, he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So just to start with, Paul knew that Everybody he presented the gospel, he knew that not everybody was going to be saved. But his desire was, I will do everything that is within me. I will push through that third leg. If I have to, I'll push through the fourth leg so I can be that one to save one. Verse 23, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Again, we see that Paul is taking all of the identity off of himself, if you will. He says, for the gospel's sake, not for my sake, not for what people may think of me, not for how people are going to look at me, but for the gospel's sake, this is what I'm going to do. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run, comma, so, so run, pause, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, 
So to fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now there's a couple of things that I want to draw out of this real quick. You know, he says that um, I run as one that not beateth the air. And it's funny, in long distance running, some of the guys that I saw that were getting to the end of the line, we called them egg beaters. Because they're just like, I'm dead. You know, I mean, they're still pushing, they're still going, but they're, I mean, they just kind of, there is no succinct movement to their body at that point. They, you know, they've kind of given all that's left in them, and they're just kind of like, <sighs> and they fall at the line. But you know, the idea, Paul's saying, I'm running with a purpose. I've trained for this. I know what I need to do. And my body is going to be fluid. It's going to run as the machine that I've worked it to be. So he's saying, I'm not going to, you know, just kind of come and just be all over the place. I'm focused. There's a point that I'm aiming for, and I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to do everything that I can within me to get to that point. And so he says in here that, uh, you know, he doesn't run it. Certainly, he says, I want to run so that, or I want you to run so that ye may obtain. So he's, he's telling the church of Corinth, look, I want you to have the same desire I do in seeing people saved, but I, you need to change things and you need to be laser focused. You need to be desired, you know, I'm going to do this not just so I'm going through the motions. But I'm going to do this because I want to win. I want to be in first place. I want to do the best that I can. And then when I get to the end, if I've given all that there is within me, then what have I given? I've given all I have. I can't sit there and go, well, you know, if I would have just maybe dug a little deeper, if I'd have gave just a little bit more, if I'd have tried just a little bit harder, maybe I would have gotten first place. There's no doubt in his mind. I'm going to give everything that there is within me that I may obtain. What's interesting is in verse 27, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so, you know, again, maybe this is just for me today, and that's all right if it is. But like I said earlier, Sunday school, Brother Gerst's message, and even to this point right now, it applies so much to me. I know that there's so many things, there's so much dross in my life that God needs to get rid of. And I really hope that He does. And I know that if I ask Him and I search His Word and I get in the truth thereof, and I'm obedient to him, he will. But, you know, Paul says here, I have to bring my body under subjection. And I have to make sure that I am doing, you know, things as God designed. So then when I do give the gospel, when I do preach, when I do go to my brother that's struggling with a sin, and I, and I mention this, I'm not a castaway. 
And I know the first thing, at least for me, the first thing that I thought of when I heard Castaway was, you know, Gilligan's Island. And these people that are lost on the, don't laugh at me, Doug, but you just thought it too, didn't you? But I mean, the idea is, you know, they're cast away on an island without hope. Actually, it's worse than that. The idea cast away here is that it's not approved. When they were making coins, if there was metal that didn't meet the quality after it had been heated and printed, if it didn't meet the quality, pitch it. It's in the dump. It's in the trash. Worthless. So what Paul's saying here is like, I'm striving for this mark. I'm living for this point. This is what I want to do. So when I come to that point, when I give someone the truth, they're not going to look at me and just... They're not going to just pitch it away. They're going to understand that there's something in me that's driving this and not, oh, it's that Chris guy. He lives by the letter of the law. You, you got to walk this line. They're going to understand that there's some depth to it. They're going to understand that the reason why we're bringing the truth to them is out of love. Because it's really easy, especially in a prison, to sit there and say, well, you know what? You did this, you did this, you did this. You got to pay your consequence and, and move on. You know, it's really easy for us to go in there and say, you know, you are a sinner. You have done this. You have failed. You are condemned. And you can go in there and you could be harsh and brass and, 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 and immovable. But if you don't go with love and desire to see God change a life, then what am I? Paul said a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal, right? Or sounding brass and tinkling cymbal? Just clatter. So we know that who the Scripture applies to is every child of God. We know how it applies, and that is the fact that we need to share the gospel with others. Um, moving along here, you know, we're going to go into what are the warnings that Paul listed in, in this passage. You know, two of the warnings that he listed were um, talking about the soldier that he entangleth not himself with the affairs of life. And I already kind of touched on that a little bit about the fact that when, when you go to, when a warrior is going to battle if his mind is not right, people's lives are in danger. You know, in the Air Force, we send our officers to fight for us. And, you know, but even, even then, if that pilot's mind is not right and he drops and doesn't drop on the mark, he could have, we could have friendly fire 
friendly lives could be civilians miss the target that he's looking at. You know, again, we look at um, at the fact that as a soldier, he needs to be prepared for battle. He needs to use the the um, weapons that are, he's prepared with, know how to use them. But most of all, he needs to just everything else needs to be set aside. You know, and, and that's what Paul's getting at. You know, he entangleth himself with not of the affairs. Um, in Hebrews twelve one, you know, you can go there and look. But you know, the the gist of the verse that I want to get to you is that we're supposed to lay every weight aside that so easily besets us. Again, let's put the blinders on. Let's get our focus where it's supposed to be, and let's you know what is the mark that God has called us to. Satan is such a conniving problem. He doesn't take and just use out and out lies to get us thinking in the wrong area to obscure a vision of things. You know, and, and I use Lot and his family as an example here of a man that entangled himself in the things of, in the affairs of the world. I'm sure that Lot's goal in life was not to father two children by his daughters and have a dead wife that's a pillar of salt. Right? I mean, that was that I I may be going out on a limb here, but I doubt that the first thing Lot thought of when he decided to pitch his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah was that, that I want to do this. He thought he was making a right move. Satan had worked in his heart and his mind. You know, hey, the land out here is nice. My cattle and sheep will be able to graze. I'll be able to buy and sell. It's close to this town. And the next thing you know, Lot's sitting in the gate, ruling with the men of the town, tries to give his daughters to the men of the town so they could do whatever they wanted with them. And in the end, the angels are dragging Lot and his family out of town because that's where their heart was. You know, Satan, again, like I said, you know, he, he sits there and he works in a way that really um, just starts at a small just a small thing and draws us away. You know, I have never done navigating by compass. And so I'm going to go out on a limb here. If I'm wrong, Josh, you correct me. But I doubt I am. Not in this anyways. As I'm looking at my compass and I say, okay, well, I need to be going towards north, and I'm north, northwest by half a degree. 100 yards probably ain't going to make a difference, right? How about a mile? Be off by 100 feet? More? 
That's what Satan does with us. He says, it's just a little thing. I remember penny candy when I was <laughs> growing up. And I thought, oh, a little penny candy isn't going to hurt a thing. I walked out with it. Well, it hurt more than just a little thing. Because once Dad found out, <laughs> it was more than penny candy that the problem was. But again, the point, you know, it's funny. But the point is, it wasn't mine to take. It was just a penny. Thou shalt not steal. But Satan put it, put it in my heart. It's just a penny. Store guy, he ain't going to care. It's just a penny. Find that laying on the floor somewhere in the aisle. Satan will do that. He'll plant a little seed in your heart. And say, it's just this. It's okay. No one will ever know. And then the next time it gets a little bit bigger. A little bit more. A little bit more. It's like telling a white lie. What's a white lie? A lie. But, you know, I started off with, well, you know, that fish was this big. And by time, you know, two years from now happens, well, you know, it wasn't just 10 inches. That fish was 15 inches, you know, and it just grows and grows and grows. Right, Doug? <laughs> the point being is, again, I'm trying to make light of it, but it really is not light. Satan will lead you astray. Not by a bold, out-and-out, yea, did God say? What did he do with Eve? Number one, he went to Eve, he didn't go to Adam, who God had talked to directly. He sat there and he twisted it and turned it just a little bit. To where Eve was like, well, you're right. I mean, it is going to make me smarter. I am going to learn from this, and I could, I could do so much more. I don't know if Eve thought that or not, but the point is, he appealed to her in a way that she felt, you're right. And she partook of the fruit. You know, and, and sin by one man has been passed on every man the second warning that Paul gives here is strive not about words of profit shun profane, bab profane and vain babblings um, and the idea here Strive not about words of no profit. Wrangle about with empty trifling matters. Vain babblings is kind of the same thing. It's empty discussions, discussions of useless matter. What makes those two verses different is Paul uses the word profane in there, which means unhallowed, ungodly. So he's sitting there and he, he's telling Timothy, look, there's some things that you're going to be dealing with, Timothy. You just, sometimes you got to wash your hands of it and walk away. 
He says, uh, strive not about the words of no prophet and profane babblings. And then he turns around and he mentions two people. Uh, it's, it's rare I've seen, or that I've seen in studying God's word. It's very rare that Paul calls people out on the negative side. But he calls two people out here. Hymenius and Philetus. He's like, these guys, they're bad. Because at this point, they have, with their words of preaching that the resurrection had already came and all of this stuff, they were causing so many problems that Paul, even in uh, 1 Timothy, I believe it was, he said that he, he gave them up to Satan. Actually, I think he mentions Hymenius and Alexander in 1 Timothy. But the point being is that with the things that these men were doing and how they were affecting people, it's like, just avoid it. I've given them truth. They're not listening to me. All they're going to do is they are going to affect the hearers. And it's... The, the end result is not going to be good. You know, in verse 16, he says, Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will what? Increase unto more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their word will eat as doth the canker. That word canker there is, is the Greek word gangrenous, which we all understand gangrene comes from that derivative. One interesting thing about gangrene is the person that has it, they may be able to see it. They can't smell it, but you can. It's, it's a smell that they're used to. It's part of their body. They don't, it's just, it is what it is. The other interesting thing about gangrene, it's not going to go away on its own. There has to be a mechanical excision of those rotting tissues for something to change. And if it's not dealt with, and if it's not worked with, then eventually it's going to affect the bone. And then as it affects the bone, that's when you start talking amputations and all those things. But again, if you're not making a mechanical excision of that infection that's taking place in the body, eventually death is going to ensue. And so we come down to, again, who does this apply to? How do I apply it? It applies to every child of God. How do I apply it? I have to take it and use it. I have to tell the lost, look, you're dying, you're going to hell. If you don't come to Christ and, and accept his payment for your sin, you will die. You will spend eternity in hell. The other opportunity in that is the fact that if, again, I said earlier, if I see a brother that is struggling, is having a problem, and I need to go to him in love and let him know, hey, there's an issue here. Help them through it. Don't go in with a hammer. Don't go in trying to just pound the truth into him. It isn't going to work. You have to share it with them. You have to show it to them, and you have to... Leave it with them to understand that God's desire is a change in their life because I can't do it. 
You know, it's interesting, when I was getting ready to get married, the pastor kept telling me, you can try and change her all you want, you can want her to do all these things, but if it's not in her to do it, guess what? Ain't going to happen. I'm like, okay, well, sure, you, you know what you're talking about. She loves me. She'll do anything I ask for. <laughs> and she will. She will do a lot of things that I ask her to do because she loves me. But, again, I or you cannot make anybody do anything. I can hold a gun to your head and say, you have to do this. But in the end, you still have to make the decision to do it. There's a threat in your life there and all of those things, but in the end, you have to make that decision. Is it worth it to me or not? So how do I apply this a marathon with some rabbit trails? How do I apply that? Is taking God's word and saying, this is the truth in God's word. Apply it to the life and go from there. Please forgive me. When we take God's word and we study it, and we apply it to our life. Study to show thyself approved unto a God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We understand studying the word is going to apply it to my life. I, I am acceptable. Acceptable. I am accepting the responsibility. In all reality, it doesn't matter if I accept it or not. The responsibility is mine. God gave it to me. God laid the command at my heart's door. This is what you're going to do. But I have accepted that responsibility to take God's word, the who, the how, is I'm going to apply it and share it with others. The warnings that we saw in this scripture was the fact that there are going to be people in our life that we can give truth to and they may not accept it. There's going to be some issues you run into. How do, you, how, do you, how do you get over it? You know, Christ, when he sent his men out two by two, he said, if you go to a town, you present them the gospel, they don't want to listen to you, what do you do? Shake the dust off your feet, go on to the next one. Sometimes we have to say, I, I, you know, I love you and I want you to know the truth, but if you're not going to listen to me, then I, I guess I need to move on. We look at the last portion of this and why. Why do I need to apply all of these things in my life? Why do I need to take this, internalize it, understanding that I am to be the faithful person in presenting the gospel and sharing the truth, verse 20 of 2 Timothy. Go back there. Stuck in 2 Thessalonians. Keep going. What page number is that, Doug? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. 
but in a great house. There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So, not a whole lot of dissertation with the end of why. I think God's word pretty much explains it. I want to be a vessel of honor to my Lord. I want to glorify my God. I want to be a blessing to my brother and sister in Christ. I want to be used by my Savior, my God, and my King. Let's pray. Precious Father, Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you that while in my own mind I thought I knew what I needed to talk about but in the end Lord your word is true your word is honest and it's lovely and it's pure I thank you God for your word and I thank you for the people here Lord this afternoon that have uh, come to your house to worship you and to learn of you we pray that you would just take your word and apply it in Christ's name we pray amen